Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. The best life that has ever been lived is the life of Jesus Christ. And that being true, we can look at his life through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and draw from his life some things that we can apply to our lives so that we can have the best possible life that we can live. That's what this series is all about, the best life, looking at the life of Jesus through the lens of Luke. And this morning, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 13, we will begin reading with verse 18 of Luke chapter 13. The title of this message is The Size of Small. The Size of Small. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 18. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all the way through the dough. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drink with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, There are those who are last, who will be first, and first, who will be last. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Spirit. It's the only way we can come, the only way we know to come, to worship you and to pray to you and to offer up ourselves to you on this Sunday morning and ask you to speak to us through these pages of your word. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to each of us those things that you knew for all eternity we would need to know this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be able to walk away from this place later today and say, God spoke to me. I really sensed God saying to me, I feel God leading me in a specific direction. And I pray that we would have 
specific, clear guidance as to what we need to do with what you say to us in this hour. Lord, as we come to you, we want to lift up people in our church who are hurting. I pray for Virginia Munn, who is recovering from surgery. I pray for Joan Cordell, who is recovering from surgery. I pray for Merrill Jenkins, who continues to recover from his long uh, health concerns. Lord, I pray for Stanton Johnston and for Mike Laster. And Lord, I pray uh, for Sarah Peake, for Mr. Johnny Hamlet. I pray for Charlie Pace with Alzheimer's and Ed Johnson, who is virtually homebound. I pray for Mr. Clyde Taylor, our oldest member, and I ask you to comfort him during these days. Lord, I pray for little Buddy Dunlap. Lord, you already know, but some of our folks may not know that Buddy is an 11-year-old who cannot hear, cannot speak, and can barely see. He's part of our deaf ministry, and he has been in the hospital at Scottish Rite all this week. He's home now, but Lord, he's been through a lot, and he will still have to go through a lot. We pray for him. We pray for his mother, April, and for his brother and sister. Lord, I pray for Miss Betty Burrell, who is at Southland Nursing Center. I pray for Miss Marie Glish with her health issues at the Garrison Center. Lord, I pray for Rebecca Summers. Lord, she has so many things going on in her life, health conditions, and Lord, she's such a persevering person, and I pray for her. I pray for the mothers in our congregation who are expecting babies. Lord, and I thank you in advance for those little children. Can't wait to gather them around us for the children's sermon. Lord, I pray for uh, the newly married, for Philip and Lindsay. And Lord, I just pray for our church as we continue to seek your guidance about the way forward. Now, Lord... Speak through your word. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. It seems that uh, we live in a world where big things are considered most important. We talk about bigger this, bigger that, bigger homes, bigger cars, uh, bigger jobs, bigger salaries, bigger churches, bigger, 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 bigger. I was reading recently where uh, the average size of a house in America today is more than double what the average size of a house in America was 35 years ago. Uh, That's both a good thing. God, we could say that God has blessed us, and certainly he has. But it's also uh, indicative of our culture that says bigger is better More of this, more of that, bigger of this, bigger of that is better. 
And this is not, I don't want you to misunderstand, this is not one of those anti-bigger is always better or bigger is sometimes better sermons. That's not what this is about. But what this sermon is about is the fact that sometimes small is where it's at. The scriptures often highlight small things. 1 Kings chapter 18 in the Old Testament Elijah is the prophet of God, and there has been a famine in the land for three years. And mainly at Elijah's command, Elijah says, it's not going to rain. And sure enough, for three years there was drought. Uh, I don't know if King Ahab, who was the evil king at the time, realized what a meteorologist Elijah was. But Elijah had, had totally stopped, halted the rain, And finally, when it came time for the rain to come back, you find this passage of Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 18, beginning with the latter part of verse 42. Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. He said, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant, and he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. And the seventh time the servant reported, I see a cloud as small as a man's hand, rising from the sea. And Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. A small cloud, and based upon that small cloud, Elijah said, the rain is coming. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. This is reading from the message. The writer of Proverbs says, you lazy fool, look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food, and at harvest it stockpiles provision. Many times in the book of Proverbs, as well as throughout the Old Testament, the writers highlight something that is small like an ant, and they say, look at that ant and learn some big lessons from such a small creature. Proverbs chapter 30 Verses 24 and 25, the writer says, Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants, for one, are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. We're talking about the great size of small things. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the the, uh, minor prophet Micah says this. He says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Of course, that's a messianic prophecy that came at least 400 years before uh, the arrival of Jesus. Micah said, Jesus will come to Bethlehem in the small province of in the small city of Bethlehem of Ephratah. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus, toward the end of his ministry, was sitting in a worship service doing what I hope none of you will ever do. He was watching what people were putting into the offering plate. Don't do that. Don't do that. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. 
Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. A small offering, and yet Jesus said it had great impact, especially for the woman who put the offering in. And who could forget from all four of the Gospels, that time when Jesus was on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, and he was teaching to literally thousands of people, at least 5,000 men, not counting women and children, could have been anywhere from six to 10,000 people there in attendance. And it got dinner time, and Jesus turned to his disciples and said, what can we feed these people? And the disciples said, look, you need to have them leave, go down to the restaurant. We can't possibly feed all these people. And Jesus tells them, he says, hey, go around and look and see what is here. And the Bible says that uh, in John chapter 6, verse 7, that Philip answered him. He says it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each of these to have even a small bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, said, Here is a boy. He has five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And of course, you've heard that story so many times. You know exactly how far those five small barley loaves and two small fish went among those people. It not only filled them, but there were 12 baskets full of the leftovers that Jesus had his disciples to collect forward. A small boy with a small lunch bag with small loaves and small fish. And yet, that small amount had big impact. You see, the scriptures turn this idea of, of bigger is always better uh, on its head. And, and the scriptures tell us that while, yeah, there are times when big is good and big is sometimes better, there are sometimes when the best things in life come in small packages. And this case in Luke chapter 13 is a case in point. It's a, a rather long passage, but within the passage there are three different small things that Jesus uh, highlights. There is a small mustard seed. There is something that's called leaven that a woman put into 60 pounds of dough. And there is a door that Jesus described as a small or narrow door. That mustard seed. Back in Jewish times, the Jews considered a mustard seed to be uh, the smallest, if not among the smallest, of seed. You look at a mustard seed and you almost think it's, it's barely larger than a speck of dust. What possibly could come out of a mustard seed? And so Jesus takes this small seed, the mustard seed, and he uses it for an illustration about the way the kingdom of God will progress throughout history. He says it will start out small. And indeed it did start out small. First there was Jesus 
And then he had his 12 disciples. One of them fell away, so he had 11 disciples. Then in Acts chapter 1, there were 120 disciples in an upper room. And then by the time you get to the end of Acts chapter 3, there are 3,000 more. And by the time you get to the end of Acts chapter 5, there are 5,000. On top of that, 8,000. And it just kind of blossomed from there to the point where here as you and I speak among the 7 billion people on earth, 2.1 billion at least profess to be followers of Jesus Christ. It started out small. And it blossomed into something great. And Jesus said the mustard seed is an analogy of how the kingdom of God started small and yet went to something great. Small beginnings, great impact. But then, not only was there the mustard seed, there was this thing called yeast. If you're a cook, you know about yeast. I don't know much about yeast. I know the end result of yeast, especially when you slab some butter on that thing that yeast helped to produce. I know that it is a really good thing. My wife Amanda can tell me about yeast. She's very good at using yeast. The other day I was... uh, in, at home when she came in one evening from buying our groceries and she had some packets of Fleischmann's yeast. And I said, what do you do with that? And she said, well, you have to use it to cook bread with. She said, would you like for me to show you? And I said, well, I've got some things I need to take care of. Uh, but I'm told that uh, you take yeast and you put a little bit of it in dough And folks who are smarter than I am say that that yeast metabolizes sugar into carbon dioxide, a gas in the yeast. And the gas expands and it makes the dough rise, but the gas cannot escape the dough because it has some elastic gluten on the outside. Aren't you impressed with the words that I've learned from studying about yeast? And so the carbon dioxide can't escape, it rises, and then you put it in the oven and it rises even more until the bread is totally done. It's baked. And then you slab the butter on it. It's really good that way. And some apple jelly is good, or some honey, or maple syrup. But this sermon is not about those things. It's about yeast, just a little bit of yeast that you put into bread. You have to be careful reading in the scriptures about leaven and yeast. Because the Bible says that sometimes leaven, a little leaven, is kind of like sin. just takes a little bit And it goes through the whole batch and just ruins it. In this case, he's speaking about the kingdom. He's using it in a good sense. And he says that just a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. It makes the whole thing rise and makes it better. Small beginnings, great impact. And then, beginning in verse 20, or beginning in verse 22... After talking about a small seed and a little bit of leaven, he talks about a small door. It says, as Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, somebody asked him, this is a great question, by the way, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? 
People ask Jesus some really good questions. I would love for it to have been the case at least a time or two for Jesus to have given them a straight up or down answer to their questions. Are only a few people going to be saying, well, yes or no? But almost always, Jesus would answer a yes or no question with either another question or with a story or with an analogy. And so in this question, which is a yes or no question, instead of answering yes or no, he says to them, he said, make every effort to enter through the, there it is, the narrow door. Make every effort. The Greek word that's translated make every effort is one single word. It is agonisomai. We get our word agonize from it. Agonize your way. Do everything that is possible to get in this narrow door. Because many, I tell you, he said, will try to enter and will not be able to. But once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door to us. And the owner will say, I don't know you. What is he talking about here? There's this banquet he's describing a little bit later, and there's a small door to get into the banquet. Doesn't really make logical sense to me. Is it that there's a small, narrow door to get into heaven? Perhaps. Or maybe he's talking about a narrow door of opportunity. Maybe it's a big door, but it's only open for a narrow period of time. Maybe that's it. Somebody said, well, that can't be it. It's been open for 2,000 years. Yeah, but it hasn't been open 2,000 years for you. It was open for a short time. Even if it was open your entire life, it's open for a short time. But for most of us, it's open for a short period of time. It is a small door. But if we walk through that small door, whether it's a small opening or a small window of opportunity, if we walk through that door, there is an eternity of impact, small beginnings, and large blessings. Little things mean a lot. Little things mean a lot, whether they're a small battery to a hearing aid to uh, a small gift that a child will give you. Uh, I love giving kids things, but I have learned that the one thing that I have given kids at Palmetto Baptist Church since 2000. The year 2000 that they appreciate and they like more than anything else is a bubblegum ball about the size of the end of my pinky. I've had kids to fight over bubblegum balls in my office. There's a little machine there, has bubblegum balls. I even provide a little mug, has friends on the outside of it. The bronze gave that to me way back when I was preaching a series on friends. I know y'all remember that series. I have pennies in that mug, and the kids come in, they pull out a penny, they shoot it in that machine, and they turn it, and it gives them two bubblegum balls. One penny, two bubblegum balls. I believe in bargains. (laughs) But boy, I really got it not long ago. I was out of the office for a couple of three days, and during that time, my bubblegum machine became empty, 
and some child got really upset, they went home and told their mother. And that smart aleck mother came up to my office and took a picture of that bubblegum ball machine and put it on Facebook. (laughs) And I got all kinds of death threats from kids. Because I didn't have bubble gum balls in my bubble gum machine, so I went out to look for them. Unfortunately for me, the folks who make bubble gum balls to fit my machine are in the business of going out of business of making bubble gum balls to fit my machine. And so Sam's, who ought to have had it, didn't have it. And so I went to Walmart, who should have had it, and they didn't have it. And I went to Target, and they should have had it. They didn't have it. And I thought, if anybody's going to have bubble gum balls, Party City will have them. And I go to Party City. I said, do you have bubble gum balls? Well, of course we do. Of course you do. Where are they? And they took me over to get them, and they were as big as silver dollars. (laughs) I said, don't you have any small ones? We don't make those anymore. And so then... After going to all those different places, I was worn out, and I told Amanda, I said, we need to go eat somewhere. And we stopped at a Cracker Barrel. And would you believe Cracker Barrel had those bubblegum balls? I tipped my waitress $50 just because. (laughs) Had nothing to do with their service. It was all because they had those bubblegum balls. The kids love those bubblegum balls. Little things mean a lot. Second, faithfulness in small things precedes opportunities in large things. Jesus said that in Mark chapter, Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So many of us want to skip over the small responsibilities and take charge of the larger ones. But Jesus is clear here. He says that faithfulness in the small responsibilities will result in opportunities where there are large responsibilities. Third, small opportunities to do good reap large harvests for witnessing for Christ. You want to witness for someone? You got to earn it these days. You got to earn it these days. You hear me? And and, and I, I know I know what most of us are like because I'm the same way as you are. We don't witness. We don't witness like we ought to. If I ask, when was the last time folks witnessed here? Has anybody witnessed in the last six months? I'm going to venture, and I'm not going to ask you to do that, but I'm going to venture that not that many hands would go up. It's a little uncomfortable. Because people are a little standoffish, more standoffish than they used to be back in our, our grandparents' day. But listen, that doesn't mean that we can't witness, but you have to earn the right to witness with people. That means you have to build a relationship with people. You have to introduce yourself and you have to invest in that relationship before you can begin to involve them in a conversation about Jesus. But by all means, do it. Listen, when you do good for somebody, you got a neighbor you don't know? If you're a good cook, bake them a pie. If you're good at crafts, make them a craft. Go by there. 
I know you don't know me. I'm such and such. I'm so and so. Had something I want to bring for you because I wanted to introduce myself to you and get to know them and build on that relationship. And at some point in that relationship, that person is going to open up the opportunity, the door of opportunity for you to say, hey, you go to church anywhere? I'd like to invite you to come to our church. Or uh, do you know Jesus? Small, small opportunities to do good, reap large harvests in witnessing for Christ. And finally, take advantage of the small door of opportunity that will lead to eternal life. Take advantage of that small door of opportunity that will lead to eternal life. You may never have heard the name Caroline Wozniacki. She is a Danish professional tennis player. She specializes in playing tennis on grass courts. She made a statement. I'm sure she's not the only one, only tennis player who has made this statement, but she made a statement recently. She said, on grass, playing tennis on grass, it can be the small things that decide the match. The little things. It's the little things that you can do to make a difference in somebody's life. Ladies and gentlemen, the best life realizes that the little things God does and the small things we can do make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, I remember as a young person singing those songs in those small Baptist churches of North Georgia. And I remember singing that song, Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame, for there's a crown and you can win it if you go in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for the small things you do that really make a great impact. I thank you for the little things people do for each one of us that have made such a great impact on our lives. And Lord, show us some little things that we can do to impact the lives of others. Lord, I pray for someone here this morning who's never invited you to be their Savior. I pray for someone to come and say, I want to know Jesus. I want to go through that small door of opportunity. Lord, I pray for someone here who looking for a church home and needs to come join, perhaps for baptism, perhaps transfer their letter of membership. Lord, I pray for people who have other decisions to make, whether large or small, that you'd help us all to make the decisions that you are leading us to make right here, right now. In Jesus' name, amen.